Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for your retirement elevated. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Scott Dugan. He's the co-founder and managing partner at Elevated Retirement Group, serving you in Kansas City and the surrounding areas, but also all across the country. And uh, you can find out more information about us by going online to elevatemyretirement.com. Listen to podcasts there and get more great information about preparing for your retirement and financial future. Scott, thanks so much for joining us this week. How are you, sir? And welcome to the first edition of the podcast. Excited to be here, Walter. Yeah, looking forward to our conversation today. It should be a fun one, Scott, because we've got, I think, a lot at our fingertips to talk about. We're going to be setting the stage on today's podcast for all of our future podcasts, you know, kind of answering the question of why, Scott? Why are we doing this thing, this podcast you know, thing that may be new to a lot of people, or maybe we might have some uh, folks tuning in, you know, over the next many episodes that we do who are very familiar with, you know, this podcast concept. But I'm excited because it's going to really give you a direct link to your clients, to folks who are thinking about working with you at Elevated Retirement Group, and to others who are just curious about learning more about financial planning. Definitely, Walter. And you know, I've been told many times that I have a face for radio, so hence the <laughs> podcast is a perfect, yes. uh, perfect segue. We don't want to do video. But on a serious note, you know, I've been just crossed going into my 18th year of financial services, so it's hard to believe it's been that long. But what I realized early on is that you know what people need is really a, a process to make better decisions about their finances. They don't need a lot of information because we're, we're at a point in time where information is at your fingertips. And to the point we're almost overwhelmed with information. And so we strive to give people a framework to make sure they can filter through all the myths, misconceptions, and misinformation that's out there and truly get down to the facts and logic of the situation. Then once you get down to the facts and logic, then and only then can you move forward making good financial decisions. And so that's really what our firm strives to do. Well, I know you wrote an article recently in Kiplinger, and the uh, title of the article, which we'll link to in today's uh, podcast description, is Lack of Financial Information is No Longer the Problem, Knowing How to Process It Is. And we'll use that as our launching point on the show today. So, Scott, kind of take us through why you wrote this article and some of the important highlights here. And, and, and the nice thing about the audio portion of this is you can give us a little bit of color and a little bit more behind-the-scenes view of, of why you chose to talk about some of the things that you did in this article. But to me, just to kind of give you a place to begin, this is so true. I mean, with the power of Google, you can have millions of search results for any financial topic you can think of literally at your fingertips. But then you kind of go, okay, now what? And that, that question is left unanswered for a lot of people, I think. Absolutely. And for a lot of the people that come you know, to our educational events or get referred to us, you know, they've been you know, good savers. They've been cognizant about not getting into a lot of debt, been fiscally conservative, and they've done a good job of saving a good nest egg. But they don't know the answers to important questions like, do I have enough? How do I make this nest egg that I've saved for 40 years, how do I make it last as long as we both live? And so when people today, they go into Google and they're, they're usually you know, looking for a solution to a problem. 
And you're right, they just get bombarded with information and it's easy to get distracted and it's easy to get paralyzed with so many choices. And I think about you know, another example outside of finances, but think about nutrition right now in our country at a time where there's more options, more choices, we seem to be paralyzed and don't really know the fundamental ways to eat properly. There's so many different different ideas out there. So it's kind of strange. And finances are no no different. And I usually start almost all of my educational events that we teach at colleges and, and uh, universities, I start with a quick quiz. And uh, you can play along here, Walter. Okay. But I asked them, I said, you know, real quick, everybody make sure everybody's awake. You know, what color is a stop sign? Red. Red and? White. White. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I said, good job. I said, now, what about a yield sign? What color is a yield sign? Oh, gosh. You've already. Uh, orange? Is it orange? Close. Yellow? Yep. Yellow okay. and? White. Uh, actually, yellow and black. Oh, yellow and black. To... I've already failed at this, Scott. Gosh. Okay. Ah, yellow, ah, yellow and black. <laughs> so it's yellow and black. Well, that's actually wrong. Wait, what? What is it? Yeah. So yield signs are red and white. Oh. Now, I'll give that's you a little bit of That's where I got the orange from, isn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> but the yellow and black, you know, the, and I'll tell you, I've answered this, asked this question for 10 years, and I've only got two people that have got it right. One gentleman was from Canada, so we don't count his answer really. <laughs> and recently, a traffic control engineer uh, he got it right. Which we uh, would give expect little, that to be the case. We right? should expect that. He's kind of a ringer. But in reality, the yield sign was yellow and black from 1954 to 1971. Oh. And in 1971 to today, it was red and white. And I got asked this question at an event years ago, and I said yellow and black. Well, I was born in 1973, and it, it's never been <laughs> never been yellow and black in, in my your whole lifetime. lifetime. Wow, my whole lifetime. But it goes. To, what's this have to do with anything? Well, it goes to show us that we've all collected information in our minds that we file away, and our subconscious, when you ask a question, we reach into the depths of our mind and pull out the answer. And we have to think about it. We're a hundred percent certain that we got that right. The problem is just with like the stop sign and the yield sign the yield sign that hasn't been true for you know 40 plus years almost 50 years and the same is true in finances you know i listen to the radio and i read you know financial periodicals and i gotta tell you well they're, they're talking about things that have been disproven 5 10 15 years ago but they still perpetuate these myths out there and so i use that analogy to say you know we have to stop and we've got to figure out how we made financial decisions in the past. And we need to figure out, is that process that we use to make decisions, is it flawed? Is it missing pieces of information? Is it missing critical facts mm. that we need or needed to make good decisions? And hopefully nobody that's listening today has ever had this situation, but can you think of back in your lifetime where you made a decision about something about a purchase or made that decision and, and you walked away say you bought that product and later on you discovered more information you dug a little bit deeper and once you uncovered the that information you realize wow if i would have known these critical facts these must know piece of information 
I probably would have made a different decision. Oh, yeah. I would have gone in a different direction. And I'll tell you, when I sit down with folks, and I've done it for years, and talk about, you know, everybody always has a stack of information, stack of statements that they bring in. And I always say, so what's the process you use to, you know, choose these specific investments or products? And unfortunately, most people don't. They just relied upon someone that they felt potentially had their best interest at heart, and they gave them advice. Or more, more commonly, they were given a sales recommendation to purchase something. And so that's why we spend so much time on giving you the questions to ask someone that's giving you advice to make sure it's in your best interest and giving you a framework to use to make better decisions going forward. Well, I know this is the the principle that we're going to attack all future podcast episodes from. So can you take us through, Scott, those important questions, that important framework for how we can make better financial decisions? Absolutely. And it all starts with this premise that more than likely there's money falling through the cracks in mm. your current financial situation. And Especially if we're subscribing to, you know, mentalities that are, as you said, 15, 20 years or more outdated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the first thing that we always ask, the number one question is, is the person that's giving you a recommendation are you certain that they've adequately reviewed your personal financial situation to make sure that what they're recommending is truly in your best interest? Now, why would we even bring that up? Because in the world of advice givers, I like to use that term loosely, in the world of financial services, there's over a million people that have some sort of license or the ability to give you information about where to put your money. And there's two distinct camps of the million people. There's the suitability camp, and then there's the fiduciary camp. That suitability camp is simply this, to give you an idea. If you go to a stockbroker that works for a big wirehouse, and a wirehouse is a big company that sells things, and you would know them, you know, Morgan Stanley, Edward Jones, Merrill Lynch, those are called wirehouses. And those brokers work for the company and that company has certain things they like distributed certain products so when you go to that individual to seek quote advice what you're actually getting is a sales recommendation to buy a product and so no matter if you're 30 40 50 60 years old those products or strategies are probably gonna have the same name on them from that firm it doesn't make them bad you know there's a lot of good people in this industry but it boils down to what's the standard of care they have to follow and that standard of care is it's got to be legal it's got to be suitable but it doesn't necessarily have to be the best option that they weigh against all the other options that are out there and so that's the suitability standard and another way to think about it if you go to a ford dealership and you're looking around at cars what kind of car do you think that salesman's going to talk to you about? Probably not a Chevy, I would imagine. Yeah. They're going to say, Walter, I really think you should go to the Chevy dealership because their products, what you look for, are much better. Okay? <laughs> You're uh, going to be much more comfortable in that driver's seat. They do yeah, a much, good job with that. They do a much better job than we do. And so when you think about that, you know, that's the majority. It's about 85% of that million people that are – licensed to give you advice fall in that suitability camp 
In the other part, much smaller group, is a group that we land in. It's called the fiduciary standard. And the fiduciary standard means this. It's a standard of care that gives you that I have an ethical, moral, and legal obligation to do and advise what's in my client's best interest. And so really boils down to I'm personally liable for information or recommendations I give our clients. You know, I don't work for a big company. You know, our job is to look at the over almost 32,000 investment options that are out there today, filter those down into groups and take those possibilities or options through a process to funnel down to end up in the top one to two. And that's what we use as for building blocks. So again, you've got to make sure that you understand which side of the table a financial professional sits on and make sure that they've got a process to make sure that what they're recommending is truly in your best interest and they work for you, not a big company. So that's the, the big takeaway for number one. Okay. So that's very important. I think make sure that you're working with a fiduciary and the fact that they're so different than so many other financial professionals that are out there. It's a, a totally different standard than one that is suitable. And I assume it's appropriate to ask a financial advisor directly, are you a fiduciary? And, and that kind of points you in the right direction. Yes. Yeah, so you always want to wonder, ask people, how do you get compensated? Okay. You know, how do you get... So do you get paid commissions by selling a mutual fund or something like that? Or do you get paid a fee to give advice on what to put into a portfolio? So that's the big, big takeaway. You've got to review everything and make sure that the standard of care they're using is truly tilts the field towards your benefit as the consumer. Okay. What about question and number two? Question number two is huge because most of this industry is designed to help you grow and accumulate assets. And so that's a vast majority of the advice givers that are out there. And not a lot of conversation is had about what are the tax ramifications of this? So how will your plan affect your tax return each year? And are there any future taxes you need to be concerned about? And that's a big one. We do a lot of forward-looking tax reviews to make sure the road that you're on, is that where you want to head? Because what we encounter through our clientele is, you know, at some point they, they started saving money and putting away, and they probably started to fund their 401k, IRA, things like that. Because what's that premise when we're starting out? You want to put this money away, grow it tax deferred, because when you retire, your tax rates are going to be what? They're going to be much gonna, lower. Gonna be much lower, yeah. Yeah, going to be much lower. Well, what a lot of our clients that we serve are looking at saying, you know what, we, we save, we're good savers, we're going to have Social Security, maybe a pension or so. And when we reach 70 and a half, that's that magical time when the Internal Revenue Service says, you've got to start taking a certain amount of money out and paying the taxes on it. You've got you to start you know, paying, the, paying the toll on this. And they start looking at the amount of money they have to take out, and they're like, we don't even we don't need to spend this money. This is not we don't need this to to get by. And so then it's causing them to have extra taxation, not only on those withdrawals at their tax deferred accounts like IRAs or 401ks, but that could push their Social Security into a higher tax bracket, to push their pension into a higher tax bracket, their dividends and interest. So we really need to make sure that we understand the road that we're on. And we want to make sure it's what are those consequences for our actions. And so taxes are a big, big deal. 
right now, you know, with the recent tax changes, this is the first major tax overhaul in 31 years. And I'll tell you between now and 2026, because 2026, the current regulations are set to roll back to 2017 numbers. But there's a lot of listeners out there that between now and 2026 is going to be this window of opportunity to take advantage of some serious tax minimization and tax planning. So that's what I would tell you. Taxes are important. We need to make sure that your plan is tax efficient and you need a process to analyze your current situation to see, is it efficient or is our money falling through the cracks because you're paying, going to pay too much in taxes? key pieces of information there, certainly. So again, these are the five important questions to ask to make sure that you're making crucial financial decisions. Number one, about your personal personal situation, reviewing, make sure that you're getting advice that's in your best interest. Number two, of course, dealing with taxes and making sure that your plan covers that element. What do we need to make sure gets covered and asked in question number three? Another important one, how will your plan that's being recommended to you affect their income and liquidity needs in the future. Now, we talk about this with all of our clients because I think the found I know the foundation of any solid retirement income plan is having an emergency fund. You know, having enough money on hand that can solve most situations or things that pop up. Planning rules that we use, we start with a good six to nine months worth of your essential expenses and making sure you've got enough set aside to really take care of emergencies. And, you know, our plan needs to have flexibility because you don't need a financial plan. You need financial planning. It's not a thing. It's a process and it's an ongoing process to navigate all the changes that are out there. And so we just need to make sure that our plan can handle the curveballs of life and that we can get access to our money and we can minimize the taxes as much as possible because things happen, you know, in a situation today where we're, we're retiring a little bit earlier and, and having a longer retirement that just opens up the possibility we're going to experience things like tax increases or tax lowering, market fluctuations, health issues, long-term care issues. So we just need to be ready. And that's what having a good liquidity plan, that's what it does for you is to take care of the curveballs of life. All right. Income and liquidity, very important pieces there as well. We're almost there. Question number four out of five that gets you on a great start for putting together a solid financial plan. Another crucial element is, Scott? You know, we need to understand how much risk we're taking in our current plan. And so it's really, how does your plan match up with your comfort level with risk? And, I, and I'm going to guess for most people, that's way out of whack, isn't it? Well, it, it's out of whack, and really it, it comes down to this. First thing we need to do is figure out what do you need your money to do for you, okay? Just because you're an aggressive, you could handle aggressive fluctuations in your portfolio doesn't mean you have to do it. And what I find is when I ask people, I say, so what process did you use to come up with your current mix of investments and the amount of risk you're taking? A lot of people, well, you know, I filled out a couple of questionnaire and you know, they just said, well, you're this, you know, you're, you're moderate. Well, I said, you know, did they walk you through a process that said, what does your portfolio, your nest egg, what does it have to earn to make this whole thing work? You know, because it's, it's like a big math problem. And most of the time, unfortunately, they, nobody's ever walked them through that process. So again, it's making sure 
when you talk about risk, what are we really talking about? We're talking about the fluctuation of the value of your nest egg. And we have to be comfortable with the range that which your portfolio can go up and down. And so once we've found the think about the road that you're on going down the middle of the road, we want to make sure there's guardrails out there and we need to stay between those guardrails. And so some of you, it's going to be like a narrow bike path. You're not going to be able to handle a lot of ups and downs. Some of you, it's going to be like a six lane highway. You you can meander all the way around ups (laughs) and downs. But again, you've got to understand what are you personally comfortable with? What does your plan need to make it work? And then take action accordingly and make sure you stay on top of that and because things are going to change over time. So make sure you're comfortable with the amount of fluctuation you may experience in your current financial plan. Helpful advice, as always. I knew risk was going to come into the equation at some point in time. I don't think you can talk about finances and retirement without bringing that up, certainly. So it slots in perfectly there is question number four. What about the fifth and final question that we need to make sure we ask here, knowing that this isn't a comprehensive list, Scott, of uh, you know all the questions that'll ever get asked, but certainly crucial ones that are good to start off with. What's the fifth one we should cover today? The fifth one is how will your plan affect the transition of your estate to your heirs? And in today's world where most of the wealth that people have put aside for retirement is going to be in IRAs and 401ks. So those are tax deferred accounts. And that means that there is a tax due on those to the person that put the money into it. Okay. And there's going to be a a tax when that account is passed on. So that taxation contingency is embedded inside of it. And the best analogy I've heard to get your art, your kind of your mind wrapped around this concept is this. Let's say you've got a family home and it's worth a million dollars, but there's a mortgage on that family home and it's $400,000. And so mom and dad pass away. There's two kids. They sell the house. What's the house worth? It's worth a million dollars. How much is the mortgage? 400. How much do the kids get to keep? They get to keep what's left over after they satisfy the mortgage. So they end up with $600,000. IRAs have an embedded tax liability to them. Someone is going to have to pay that to get at that money. And so if you've got kids or grandkids that have done well, good income earners, and you give them through a behest or an inheritance a tax-deferred account, they're going to have to pay the taxes on it. Some people do it in a short period of time. Some people stretch it out over time. The bottom line is by leaving an account that has embedded taxation in it, you could potentially increase the tax liability on the people you're giving it to. And another way to think about this is that if you've got that same million dollars in a portfolio and it's in an IRA, can you spend that entire million dollars? Is that entire million dollars yours to spend? And the answer is no. That money has to go through some sort of tax transition, meaning you've got to pull it out, you've got to pay the taxes, and you get to spend what's left. That is true when you own it, and it's true when your beneficiaries own it. So always be cognizant of the fact that if you make changes to plan or someone's recommending 
putting your money into something, make sure you understand what it does down the road to the people you give it to, or does it impede you to make decisions with your money down the road? So really that distribution of, of passing money on, we want to make sure it's the, it's the most efficient, effective manner to do so. And having a good process in place will ensure that that is the case. Well, put a nice bow on this conversation for us, Scott, as we kind of wrap up our first ever podcast here. And taking into account these five questions, I mean, what's an actionable step I as a saver, investor, a retirement planner could take to implement these five questions? And how do I make sure that I get a financial plan that gets me off to the right start? If you're listening to this and if you're unsure how your financial plan will help protect and provide for you now and through retirement, you've got to take the time to sit down and review each and every decision with your advisor by asking them those critical questions that we covered and make sure that you are comfortable with the answers because it's always better to prepare than to repair. Mm. Well, I like the way that you ended the article. Maybe we should end it this way on the podcast as well. Once again, it doesn't cost you anything to ask questions, but it could cost you dearly if you don't. Well written and uh, makes a lot of sense, uh, Scott. So here you go. If you want to ask those kinds of questions that we've talked about on the podcast today and some more of your own, it's very easy to get in touch. You can reach out to Scott Dugan, whether you're in Kansas City or anywhere else in the country. Scott can meet with you you know, digitally. There's lots of different ways to interact, and he can help guide you through whatever your financial planning issues might be. You can call the old-fashioned way, 913-393-4724 is the way to do that, 913-393-4724, or go to elevatemyretirement.com, and that's a great way to check out more information about Scott Dugan and the team at Elevated Retirement Group. ElevateMyRetirement.com is the website to visit. Well, Scott, that's it for the first podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon on the next one. Take care. All right. Thank you so much. That's Scott Dugan, co-founder and managing partner at Elevated Retirement Group. I'm Walter Storholt, and we'll talk to you again next time on the podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.